This morning we're going to focus on the 23rd Psalm. Um, without question, the 23rd Psalm is probably the most well-known. I'm sure that most of you, as uh, Jason began to read it, you could close your Bibles and just listen, because most of us have the 23rd Psalm memorized. Um, I believe this Psalm to be probably, again, one of the most well-known in the Bible and probably competes with John 3.16 for being the most well-known portion of Scripture. The 23rd Psalm is also known as the Shepherd's Psalm. Um, as we see, it's all about the shepherd, the one who is shepherding us. And <clears throat> excuse me, many know of it as the Psalm of David's pastoral uh, or David's pastoral psalm. The placement of this psalm is noteworthy. Um, it is divinely placed between Psalm 22 and Psalm 24. Uh, psalm 22 is about the cross. It is the uh, psalm about the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus Christ came and he died for our sins. And all, all of those who place their faith in Jesus Christ have, um, uh, are a beneficiary or benefactors of Jesus Christ's death on the cross. And Psalm 22 lays that out for us very clearly, the, the suffering and the significance of Jesus Christ's death on the cross. And Psalm 24 is all about the crown. It's the, it's the um, fact that we have a home in heaven and Jesus Christ is victorious and we, have an, we, we will um, enjoy that uh, crown with him. Psalm 23 could be, calm, could be called the psalm of care. It is a psalm in which Jesus Christ takes us from the uh, crucifixion to the crown. It is, the, it is, it is life. It is the, what we're living right now. It's easy sometimes as Christians to look at what Jesus Christ did for us in the past and look at what Jesus Christ is doing for us or will do for us in the future, in eternity. But oftentimes we miss out on the Psalm 23 part of it, which is what Jesus Christ is doing for us right now. Um, the, the care that he's giving us, the comfort that he's giving us in this daily life. As we read through the 23rd Psalm, oftentimes we compare it and connect it to the gospel in the sense that it's specifically related to salvation. But I would challenge you this morning that the 23rd Psalm is not only related, related to salvation. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you that a, a true interpretation of the 23rd Psalm is more about practical everyday life. It's more about the sanctification process than it is about the salvation process. And they're both together. It is embracing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior that brings a person into a relationship with God. It is believing that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again, and that he gives us new life. It is, it is embracing and trusting those things that brings a person into a relationship with God. But it is, also, it is also the embracing of those same things that brings the care and the comfort that Jesus Christ gives us every single day of our life. It's the same, it's the same faith that brings about salvation that also brings about sanctification. And, and one day will bring about glorification. So when, when we read the 23rd Psalm, we embrace the fact that yes, it is it is believing that Jesus Christ is our shepherd that brings salvation, but it's also believing and trusting that Jesus Christ is our, that he is our shepherd 
that brings daily sanctification. It brings us to where we need to be in regards to functioning properly in every day of our lives. John chapter number 10 is a wonderful passage of scripture that um, could be called John's shepherd, shepherding passage of scripture. Uh, John 10 deals much with the shepherd and, and in verse number nine, the Lord says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, Jesus Christ is the door to the sheepfold. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. In other words, this is salvation. If we come into the fold through Jesus Christ, we know that we will be saved first and foremost. We will be forgiven. We will be justified. We will be, be set free from the bondage and condemnation of sin and set free to being able to follow the Lord in our daily lives. But not only is that, John uh, 10 and verse 9 deal with the shepherd in the re relation to salvation, but John 10, 27 says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. This is sanctification. This is the shepherd sanctifying or setting his sheep apart to follow him. It's interesting that as we start to look at this passage of scripture in Psalm 23, it begins with the Lord is my shepherd. And this phrase is, uh, is interesting because when we look at it, we often think of it, the fact that the Lord is described, being described as being the shepherd. A true interpretation of this phrase would be, it's, would almost be to say the Lord is shepherding me. In other words, the emphasis of this simple phrase is not necessarily who the Lord is, but it is more of what is the Lord doing. What is the Lord actively doing in our daily lives? And yes, that's related to who he is, but again, the emphasis is what is the Lord doing daily in, in your life and in my life today? And how do we respond to that in resting and trusting in what he has done for us? It's important to note that the Lord in this verse, in this first phrase, is the same Lord that's mentioned in Psalm 22. It's Jehovah. It's the one who was mocked. It's the one who was laughed at. It's the one who was forsaken by the Father, has turned his back on him. It's the same Lord that was hung on the cross. It is the same Lord in Psalm 22 that is also in Psalm 23. This is important because we are embracing someone whom the world mocks. We are embracing someone that the world laughs at. We're embracing someone that the world has nothing to do, wants nothing to do with. Yes, he is our king, but no, he is not their king. When Jesus Christ came into the world, the Bible says it was good news. But it wasn't good news to everyone, was it? There were many who wanted to crucify the Lord when he came into this world. The Lord Jehovah in Psalm 23 is the same Lord Jehovah in Psalm 22. He was the one who was naked when he hung on the tree, shamed and alone, beaten and falsely accused. You say, Pastor John, why is it important that we understand Jehovah in 23 is the same as the Lord in 22? Because he understands us. The, the, the 
Jehovah, the Lord in Psalm 22, understands what we go through. He understands our difficulties. He understands our heartache. He understands our problems. There's nothing that you go through that Jesus Christ hasn't gone through it first. There's no difficulty. There's no challenge in life. There's no mockery or laughter or rejection or loneliness or pain or suffering that you go through in life that Jesus Christ did not go through first. This is why it's important that we see Jesus, Jehovah, for who he is so that when we come to Psalm 23 and we start to determine whether we're going to follow this shepherd of our soul in daily life, we understand that he's been through all that we've been through. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's difficult to hear challenges from people that have not been where you've been and walked where you've walked. Somebody who comes up to you, maybe you, you've lost a loved one and somebody comes up and makes a, a snide remark or an un, unthoughtful remark because they've never been there before. Jesus, we could never say that about Jesus. He's been through everything that you and I will ever face or ever go through. So therefore, he understands us, amen? He understands us. Hebrews chapter number uh, two and verse 18, it says the very reason why he can help us is because he understands us and he was tempted or tested in all the ways like we were. It's important to connect 22 and 23 because it says to us that Jesus Christ, Jehovah, understands us. It's also important to connect 22 and 23 for this reason. It says to us that Jesus Christ paid sufficiently for us. In other words, anyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we know that his blood was sufficient to pay for our sins. There is no crime, there is no sin, there is no evil that anyone who has ever committed that cannot be paid for with death. The greatest of punishments is that a person die for their crime. And this is what Jesus did for us. So when we come to the shepherd psalm, we know that Jesus Christ understands us. We know that Jesus Christ purchased us with a price He purchased us with the ultimate price, the full payment for our sins. And then we know number three in Psalm 22 that Jesus Christ wins for us. Amen? He is the victor. He is the victor for us and then he comes to live in us and he is the victor through us. He is the one who is victorious. He is the one who wins. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he paid satisfactorily for our sins. When he rose three days later, he was victorious over all evil. He won, and he won not for himself, but he won for us. He wasn't the sinful one. We were the sinful ones. We were the ones who were guilty. He won on our behalf. He won to benefit us and to be a blessing to us. This is why Psalm 22 is important to be preceding Psalm 23. In this short first phrase, and remember this, the first phrase of Psalm 23 is the overriding phrase of the, of the chapter, of the psalm. In other words, everything else 
flows from this first phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. It is that phrase that everything else in that psalm is rooted. The only people that can live out this psalm are those who can say with the same boldness that David said, the Lord is my shepherd. It is impossible. David faced great difficulty. It is impossible to say the things that follow this phrase without first stating this phrase. The Lord is shepherding me. The Lord is caring for me. So when we see this word shepherd, it simply means three things. He, he is providing for us. He is protecting us. And he is caring for us. Really, he is, he is overseeing us as we use the word in the New Testament. The beginning of the 23rd Psalm is also pivotal. It is the key, if you will, to the rest of the Psalm. It is, it is David, David's bold faith proclamation that the Lord is shepherding him. It is David's bold understanding that the Lord is caring for him. The Lord is protecting him. The Lord is providing for him. And this is how we enter into a relationship with the Lord. It's by that bold confirmation, that bold affirmation, that bold acceptance of Jesus Christ as being our, our shepherd. We're reminded in Psalm 10, Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Verse 13, just a few verses down, for whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It was the embracing of this reality, it was the embracing of this truth by faith that caused David to be able to live his life in light of this truth. This is why the devil works so hard in the realm of getting us to doubt, getting us to be Concerned if, whether or not the Lord is capable of doing these things, which drives us to a life of worry and frustration and fear. But the embracing of Jesus Christ for who he is, for what he says about himself and what he does for us daily in our lives is what motivates us to a life of restfulness and confidence and boldness for him. Romans 1 and verse 16, the, God, the Lord says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. It's the same thing. It's like David is saying in, in, verse, in verse one in this first phrase, he's like, I believe that the Lord is my shepherd. I, I trust, I embrace this reality. The Lord is my shepherd. He says, and everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or to us, the Gentiles. The Lord is the savior of all those who believe, no matter what race or nationality or color or creed we come from. The Lord Jesus Christ is the savior of all those who embrace him as their Lord and savior. 
in the same way that the Lord Jesus Christ is the shepherd of all of those who embrace him as their shepherd. The reality is, is this, that we embrace the Lord as we embrace the Lord as Savior, not so that he can become our Savior, but because he is our Savior. The reason we embrace him as Savior is that that's what he is. The reason someone does not embrace him as Savior, matter of fact, in John chapter number 10, it says that they did not believe on him because they were not of his sheep. In other words, being a sheep is necessary before believing Being a sheep is necessary before embracing the Lord as the shepherd. He is the initiator, if you will, of these things. And we are the responder to him. It's not the other way around where we initiate and he responds. It is he initiates. He is shepherding David. And David responds by acknowledging that in faith. And what's amazing is this. When God initiates that transition, that that salvation in our lives, that becoming of our shepherd, it doesn't mean that we always embrace it, does it? How many of you this week have had a, a struggle with faith, a struggle embracing the sovereign care of God? Because the truth is there, because the initiation is there, because God has claimed us to be his own, doesn't mean that we always embrace it in our daily lives. We we embrace it, and when we embrace it, it doesn't make it a reality. We embrace it because it is a reality. David wasn't trying to make the Lord his shepherd. He was simply embracing something that was a reality to him, and that is the Lord is my shepherd. We embrace that this morning. The Lord is my caregiver. The Lord is my comfort. The Lord is my provider. The Lord is my protector. So in this psalm, we're gonna take just a few minutes to unfold what it looks like, what some, some things that are said in this psalm that help us understand what it looks like to be under the shepherding care of the Lord and to have embraced that, to by faith, have trusted that the Lord is shepherding my heart. The Lord is shepherding me. Most of us would say this morning with, without question that the Lord is shepherding us. We're a part of his flock and therefore we, we embrace the idea that the Lord is shepherding us. And the psalmist just is going to go throughout the remainder of this chapter and, and expound on what does that look like? What does it look like for the Lord to be shepherding us? We're, we're celebrating Christmas, right? This is the season of Christ's birth. And we know what he did for us in his birth, and we know what he did for us in his, resurre- in his, in his sacrifice for us on the cross, and we know what he did for us in his resurrection, and we know what he's gonna do for us in the future in, in his return. But, but what I want us to see this morning is I, I want us to unfold the idea that Jesus Christ is here with us right now. That actually when you walk through your day, the Lord Jesus Christ is there and he cares. We're not of the belief that God did everything that he could in creating and sending his son to this earth and then he just left us alone to ourselves. We're of the belief that Jesus Christ is active in shepherding this, his flock. This Grace Bible Church is the Lord's flock. 
And he's shepherding us. He's caring for us. He's guiding us and directing us. And here's how one of, here's how a person who has embraced that as the truth, here's how, here's some things that will, will um, be identified in their life. Number one, he says at the very next phrase of, of verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. What's the next words? I shall not want. I shall not be in want. I shall not lack. The first thing that he says directly connected to his faith acknowledgement of the Lord being his shepherd is, is that he's never going to be in want. And the word just simply means to be without, to, to lack something, to, to have a need to decrease or to decline it can also be associated with worry and discontentment. And in other words, a lot of times the reason why we worry or we're discontented is because we feel like we're lacking something that we need, right? We feel like there's something that we need or that needs to happen and we're lacking that, so we begin to worry, we begin to come, become concerned, we begin to become frustrated, and that frustration, and it leads to a lot of different things. When we are, when we are convinced that we are under the shepherd's care, we must conclude that we never lack. That we're never lacking. That's a natural conclusion. Now, if we're under the paycheck's care, right? That's lacking, right? Not many of us in here wouldn't say, I wanna make a little bit more money in my paycheck, right? If we're under the doctor's care, we would say, you know, where's the, me where's the miracle medicine? that heals me of whatever sickness I have, right? We can question those things, but here's the problem. Whose care are we under as Christians? Who is our shepherd? Who is the one who is caring for us physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially? Who is the one who is caring for us in those things? The Lord is, right? We know the Lord, we know the Lord is our provider, and we know that he knows our needs even before we ask, right? We know that he promises to faithfully take care of our needs. Philippians 4 verse 19, for my God shall supply all of your needs, right? According to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. If you've ever questioned that God can't care for us, that verse Basically says, okay, it's being funneled from heaven. The bank account is full. There is no lacking there, and therefore there is no lacking here. As we find ourselves into the care and embrace the care of the Lord, what we find is we find contentment and satisfaction and gratification based upon we know that the shepherd is caring for us. If the shepherd is caring for us, I can trust that I have what I need. Right? Right? I can trust that I have what I need. I can trust that I have what's good for me. And therefore, I can be content and satisfied with what I have. Think about this verse, James 1, verse 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, okay, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, you're not wanting. 
You're not lacking in any way because the shepherd... Now, notice that he's talking about trials and tribulations. Trials and tribulations are not necessarily a sign that you're lacking. Those are the things that help us to... Those are the things sometimes that motivate us to think that we're lacking. But it's trials and tribulations by which the Lord brings about a person's full satisfaction in in him. In him, not in these things. It It is the things that we think we lack that shows oftentimes that we're trusting something other than the shepherd's care. And the Lord allows us to lack, to bring about that care, and we never lack what we need because the Lord is always providing what we need. It doesn't mean that we don't pray, amen? We should pray. We have not because we ask not. We should pray. But we should pray in such a way that we trust that God knows what's best. So Lord, heal my body, right? But Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Let's keep going. First of all, somebody who's under the shepherd's care has no lack or no want. Why is that? The Bible says in the next verse, he causes us, he makes us to lie down in green pastures. And the second point I had in this one, shall not want, is just that he causes us to lie down. If you know anything about a sheep and and, and, and the way that a sheep works, you know that a sheep will not lie down if there is anything in his world that will cause him to have worry or concern or discontentment or dissatisfaction, that sheep has to be totally satisfied and totally restful to lay down and rest. They are, the, they are the easiest animal to frustrate and to get them up and get them moving and worried. When the Lord says he makes us to lie down, it, the implication is, is that the Lord brings everything that we need so that we can rest. How many of you believe that the Lord has brought everything into your world so that you can rest? Okay? The Lord has provided everything for... How many of you believe that the Lord's goal for us is to rest in Him? It's, it's, a, it's really a no-brainer, isn't it? He wants us to rest... He brings everything necessary that we have nothing that should keep us from resting. But what does the devil do? The devil does everything in his power to frustrate our rest. May I submit something to you today, church? The Lord is most glorified, John Piper. The Lord is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Right? The Lord gets the greatest glory When we, like Jesus, are in a boat in the midst of a storm and we're doing what? And we're asleep. It's the hardest thing to imagine. But we praise our shepherd greatly when we show the world around us that there is nothing that can take us away from the restfulness of knowing we are shepherded by God. How does he do this? How does he make us lie down? I I wrote this down. I think this is important to understand. He doesn't force the sheep to lie down by cruelty, harshness, abuse, or threats. 
He doesn't push them onto the ground to get them to lie down. Because what that will do is it will cause them to rise up even the faster. Because they're even afraid of the shepherd now. What he does is, is he provides for them everything necessary that they would be able to rest. That they would be able to lie down. He makes us to lie down by being the good father. By being caring and by being kind and by being gentle and by being soft and by being patient and by being gracious. He makes us to lie down in green pastures. Romans 2 and verse 4 says, do you not presume or do you not presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience not knowing that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's God's kindness that leads us to himself. He causes us to lie down. Number, number three, he leads us to calm waters. The Lord leads us to calm waters. The, the picture is, is the Lord doesn't lead us to rough waters. Most of the conflicts that we have and the, and the frustrations that we have in life are not because the Lord has led us there. It's because we have let our flesh get involved. The Bible says the anger of men in James 1 and verse 20 does not produce the righteousness of God. The good shepherd is leading us to calm waters. He's leading us to calm waters. He's called in Isaiah, it was read this morning in Isaiah 9 and verse 6, or it was mentioned in Isaiah 9 and verse 6 that he is the prince of conflict. Is that in your Bible? He's the prince of conflict. No, he's the prince of, he's the prince of peace. He leads us beside the still waters. He takes us places where we can be resting, not fighting. In his fold, we can be comforted by that. Number four, he comforts our soul. The word here is restore, is the word idea of comfort, to, to turn something back from discouragement, depression, being downcast, from being hopeless and faithless. The, the good shepherd turns us around to where we're hopeful, right? Where we're, we sorrow as those, who, we do not sorrow like those who do not have any hope. The good shepherd turns us around from hopelessness, from discouragement and depression. Listen, discouragement and depression are a, are a stain on the name of your shepherd. They say, my shepherd is not good. He can't provide enough for me that I can rest in his arms. The good shepherd is such that he, that he restores our soul. He leads us away from that discouragement and that depression and that hopelessness. Lessness. <laughs> I don't know if that made any sense at all, but <laughs> he leads us away from that. He restores our soul. The Lord is about encouraging us, folks. He's about lifting our spirits, lifting our heart up so that we're not hopeless and we're not helpless. He says to us in, in Ephesians 4 and verse 29 that our speech should always be good for edifying or building up. Because why? Because we're representing the Lord. And that's what he does. He, he restores our soul. He leads us in the right paths, not the wrong ones. Amen? He leads us in good paths. He leads us in healthy paths, in flourishing paths. 
What you do not see in this text is he doesn't force the sheep to go these things. In this word leading, it literally means that the shepherd gets out in front and goes, and the sheep do what? All of them? Mm -mm. If we're wise, we will. The Lord says, as I embrace by faith that the Lord is my shepherd, I will not be in want. He provides everything that we need so that we will not be in want. The second thing that he says here, the second bold statement that he says is this, I will not fear. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Remember this about the valley, and remember this about this, this short verse of Scripture. Number one, the Scripture does not say that there's the absence of evil, but it is the absence of fear. Matter of fact, the valley is the place where sheep can get lost off in areas they shouldn't be. The valley is a dark place. The valley is a dangerous place to be in. We all know that, don't we? We've been in the valley of depression, haven't we? We've been in the valley of discouragement, haven't we? We've been in these valleys before. It's a dangerous place to be. It's a vulnerable <coughs> place to be. But here's what the scripture says as we embrace the fact that Jesus Christ is our shepherd, that there is no fear in the face of evil. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 1, 7, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, our self-control. Notice number two, the valley is a necessary part of the journey. You will not see in this phrase the Lord leading us. All the phrases before the Lord leads us, the Lord leads us. And then it says, yea, though I walk, as if it's just something that happens. Every Christian faces valleys because we're fleshly and human and we walk into these valleys. The Lord doesn't say he leads us into these valleys, but what he does say is this, that when we go through these valleys, he is there with us. He doesn't forsake us. Even though, the phrase is literally, even though I walk through the valley of the Saturday, it's almost like this is what I'm doing. I'm going into this valley I'm going into this dangerous place. And guess where the Lord is? He's right there with us. He's protecting us. He's, he's, he's guarding us from the enemy. The valley is a necessary part of the journey. It's a natural part of the journey. Places where we're challenged or places where we're brought to discouragement, to doubt, to worry, to frustration. And, and I would just say to you that there are very few days that I'm not faced with these valleys. There's very few days that I don't face this idea of doubt and worry and discouragement. Very few days. But I have to not fear because my shepherd is with me. Watch what he says, though. He says, yea, though I run through the valley of the shadow of death. Is that what it says? He says, yea, though I walk. The picture is simply this. The, the mode of the sheep doesn't change from one place 
to the next. In, in other words, I'm walking in all of this care of the Lord and I continue to walk in the valley of the shadow of death. I'm not afraid of what is around me. As a matter of fact, as you study this, this out, you will find that the fearful sheep were often the ones that got into the most trouble because they would then frantically move into places that they should not have been. The valley is a necessary part of our growing. How no fear, how do they show no fear? They walked and not ran. They didn't scurry, they trusted, they prayed. Uh, Philippians 4 talks about not, not to worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Proverbs 3.24, if you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep shall be sweet. How do we find that rest? We find that rest in the shepherd. It's not in anything else other than being in the shepherd. The reason why Jesus Christ was able to rest in the in the, in the depths of that boat in the midst of a great storm while all of his disciples were fearful was because he knew something that they lacked knowledge of. Why no fear? Notice these things. Number one, it's a valley, not a dwelling place. It's a valley, not a dwelling place. It's a hallway. It's something that you're meant to go through, not to stay in. The comfort that we have is, is that we're not stuck there. We're going through there. A valley is a necessary part of the Christian life. A valley has the purpose of getting us to the goal. Remember that. A valley has the purpose of getting us to the goal. We have to go through the valley to get to the mountaintop. But the purpose of the valley is never to become the mountaintop. We go through it, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Remember number two, it seems dangerous, but it's really not. How many, of, how many of us have ever been hurt by a shadow? How many of us have ever been afraid of a shadow? Yeah. The Bible says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The, the seemingly, this is a dangerous situation. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. There's a seeming danger there, but in the shepherd's care, it's simply a false danger. We see next of all, the shepherd is with us, for thou art with us. And he says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort us. Let me give you three things real quick in regards to this. Remember this. They were relieved by number one, the shepherd's presence. They were relieved, number two, by the shepherd's power. That rod that he bore in his hands was a picture of his strength. That meant that if any danger were to come, that my shepherd with that rod would deal with that danger. People have taught that that rod was used to beat on the, she the sheep. The rod was not used to beat on the sheep. It was used to affect the enemy of the sheep. Do you know what was used on the sheep? Always the staff. Do you know what the staff was a sign of to the sheep? It was a sign of closeness. Those sheep would be drawn in by that staff. He would take that staff and he would draw those sheep, those sheep in. What gives a sheep comfort in the midst 
of the valley. It is the presence of their Lord. It is the power of their Lord. And it is the closeness of their Lord. Matter of fact, notice this throughout the text. You will not find a place in Psalm 23 where the sheep are closer to the shepherd than in the valley. These are the moments where the Lord draws near to us and we draw near to him. How can we not fear in the midst of difficulty? We cannot fear because God is with us. Psalm uh, 73, 28 says, but of me it is good to be near to God. For I have made the Lord God my refuge and I will tell all of your works. The last thing is this. He says, I will dwell. I will dwell. The psalmist makes this final comment in regards to being a, a, a sheep of the shepherd's fold that he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Simply meaning this, I will sit down, I will rest, I will be calm and satisfied in the Lord's house. We often make that a picture of heaven. I believe that what he's referring to there is being in the fold of the Lord. I don't think that the, the, the setting changes. I think he is saying that as long as I live, I will be in the presence and under the protection and care and provision of the shepherd. And that's what comforted his heart. I will remain, I will rest in the protection and provision and care of the Lord. The verses that came to my mind as I was reading through this is John chapter number 15. The scripture talks about abiding in the Lord, abiding in the vine. If you abide in him, if you dwell in him, if you rest in him, you will bear much fruit. Here's what he says about being in the Lord's care. Being in the Lord's presence, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What happens in the house of the Lord? Well, watch what he says in verse number five. You prepare a table before me. Amen? There's a feast there. But it's not just any feast. The Lord provides for us a marvelous feast. But it's not just any feast. It's a feast in the presence of enemies. It's a feast in the presence of danger. The reality of it is, is if we know that there's danger, we often will not sit down to a feast. And we might grab a burger, right? We might grab something from the fast food restaurants, but if our, that's what happens when our life gets frantic. We don't sit down to feast anymore. Not a, necessarily a physical feast, but we don't sit down to feast on the word of God anymore. Because our life is frantic, he says, in the presence of all of this franticness, in the presence of all of this worry, in the presence of all of this danger, the Lord has laid forth a feast for us. It's really a beautiful picture. The Hebrew terms that are used in here describe the idea of being a comparison. It's almost like the Lord has laid this feast out for us and he said, compare this to what you have and choose this. It's amazing how many days that go by and the Lord has laid the feast out before me and it's all there and it's all satisfying. It's all amazing to the eye, but I'm drawn away by something that is fake or false or hurtful and not real. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemy. You anoint my head with oil. <clears throat> in, in other words, the Lord gives us purpose. The Lord gives us a goal 
Anointing was a sign in the scriptures of, of having a purpose in life. And anointing was also a way in which the, uh, was identified by the Spirit of God living within us, the oil of the Holy Spirit. The Lord gives us his Spirit. He anoints us with a purpose. As we dwell in his presence, we become purposeful. He says, my cup overflows. Under the care and the protection of the Lord, our lives will be an overflow of blessings to other people. John 4 and 14 says, whoever drinks of the water of life that I will give him will never be thirsty again, but the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to everlasting life. And then he says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. What a wonderful promise that as we dwell in the Lord's fold, we can, be, we can be assured that goodness and mercy is going to always be following us. And I believe that there's two definitions or two meanings to that phrase. Number one is that we're always going to experience goodness and mercy from God. As one of his sheep, that's all he shows to us is his goodness and his mercy. But number two, also what's gonna come behind us as Christians is goodness and mercy. Meaning that goodness and mercy is going to chase us always, but also goodness and mercy is going to be what we leave behind. One of the, one of the identifications of being a follower of Jesus Christ is that we leave behind that which he puts inside of us. So on this Christmas holiday, let us, let us be reminded of who the Lord is. What he wants to do, not just in eternity and not just in the past, but, but listen folks, Jesus Christ is our shepherd today. He cares for our souls. He wants us to rest. He wants us to lay down in green pastures. He wants us to walk beside calm waters. He wants us to have a restored soul. He wants us to walk in the paths of righteousness. He wants us to not fear. He wants us to sit at this glorious table that he's, that he's laid out for us in, 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 in a beautiful, glorious table that will satisfy us completely. He wants us to eat from it. And all of it because we say at the end of the day, the Lord is my shepherd. It is that bold, faithful proclamation. And not just a proclamation with my mouth, but a proclamation with my life that the Lord is my shepherd. I trust him and I believe I can rest in him. I'm gonna give you guys a little illustration, a story. Because um, I, 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 I was driving yesterday to a, a location and I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, give me something that will help me to just illustrate this to the body. And, and you know, you ever, you ever ask that and you, later you regret asking for that illustration, right? So this illustration is not necessarily a great illustration in the sense of, of what happened, but it helped me understand. Um, we had a basketball tournament this weekend and my girls were playing in it and on a Saturday morning we played a game and both of my girls got hurt. My older girl bonked her head and we didn't know if she had, you know, a concussion or not and our younger, our middle daughter, she hurt her back really bad. And so last night I'm, I'm laying in bed. And as you can imagine with any father, this dad is not sleeping at all. All I can think about is, okay, if you get a concussion, there's a possibility that you won't wake up in the morning, right? Or my other daughter, you hurt your back, there's a possibility that there can be really bad things going on. So this guy is laying there, restless, getting ready to preach on being restful in the Lord. Right? And I'm like just totally wrestling. I did, I did not sleep. My wife said this morning, she's like, I noticed you didn't sleep very well last night. It's like, yeah, I didn't sleep very well at all. 
You know why? Because I was restless. You know what kept going through my mind? I, I, I can trust the Lord. I, I know I can trust the Lord. I know the Lord is caring for my daughters right now. But you know what else was there? It was the flesh. It was like, I, 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 can't, I can't let this go. And I wrestled and I wrestled all night. And I woke up this morning and I thank the Lord for the illustration. I mean, that's where we are. That's where we live. It's so easy for us to know the truth. It's so difficult for us to lay down and to have a sweet, peaceful sleep because we know the Lord is our shepherd. Listen, folks, the Lord will never fail you. You embrace him by faith. You trust in what Jesus Christ has done for you. He will never fail you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. The challenge will be for you, and the challenge was for me, is being able to embrace that right now. Being able to embrace that in my sleep last night or the lack thereof. This Christmas, let's remember who our shepherd is and let's have a restful, God-glorifying Christmas season. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, that you are the shepherd of our souls, that you do care, that you have died on the cross for our sins, that you rose again, and that you now live inside of your people, caring for, comforting, supplying, and protecting those who are yours. Help us, Lord God, to rest in those realities May we be a people that define what it means to rest in the face of difficulty to your glory and honor. We thank you for the privilege of being here today. May this truth from your word go with us as we go throughout the week. In Christ's name, amen.